begin here. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi man wala. So the, uh, this class, the books actually ran out. So the, you'll get the books next week. So it's not critical that you have the book at this minute. All right. This, what we're going to look at are the most important hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave. All right. The, according to uh, most of the imams, the most important hadiths are four. Four most important hadiths. Okay. So this is the first one of them. And it's called, the, the name of the hadith is, Actions are by intention. Actions are by intentions. That's the name of this hadith. And uh, this hadith, the, uh, we're going to put all the notes for this hadith in Canvas. You're going to get an email eventually, and we use a learning management system called Canvas so that you could uh, keep up with the notes. And the lecture itself will also be there too, a link to the lecture itself. Yeah, if you register with Alicia, she'll be able to email you guys, and then you'll get it and you'll be on top of it. So now, uh, this hadith was transmitted in an announcement. So the first question is, what is the, the, the incident that caused this hadith to come about? There was a man at the time of the emigration. As you all know, the biggest thing that the Muslims did was they emigrated from Mecca to Medina. Okay, to Yathrib, was called Yathrib. They emigrated from Mecca to there, okay, uh, because of the persecution. Now, a type of rumor spread around that there was one man, he only emigrated in order to marry a woman. Because he didn't have any interest to become Muslim or to emigrate. But he was interested in a Muslim woman. And this Muslim woman said, you have to become Muslim and you have to make the hijrah, the emigration. Okay, you have to make the immigration. So he he did the immigration, and he came to Medina. Okay, he did the hijra and did the immigration, right? The phone. Oh, it's with Dawood Silva. Dawood Silva has the phone. Yeah. When he made the immigration, okay. You guys are distracting me over there. When he made the immigration. All right. It was known that the only reason he did it was to marry Umm Qais. Umm Qais. This is her name, Umm Qais. So they started joking about him and saying he's the emigrant of Umm Qais. And he's the muhajir of Umm Qais. All right. Cecilia, your mom, if she wants to come, she could get her a seat. I mean, Patricia, yeah. Your mom, if she wants to come, she could take a seat. So they called her muhajir. They called him muhajir Umm Qais. And they sort of were joking that he didn't really make the hijra to be with the rest of the Muslims. He made hijra you know, just uh, to, to get married. So upon this, when this started to spread, then the Prophet, peace be upon him, stood up and took it as an occasion to teach the people something very important. And this is where he said, all right, verily actions are only by their intentions. All right, so whoever made hijrah for Allah and His Messenger, then he made hijrah for Allah and His Messenger. And if you made hijrah for some worldly gain or to get married, right, then his hijrah is for what he did it, is for what he did it for. All right. So this now leads us to a couple things. All right. This leads us to a couple things. Number one. Okay. Number one. 
The first question is, the types of actions that people do. All of our actions are divided into two categories. The first category is shared by all people, and we call that mundane actions, regular actions that everyone does. Everyone uh, wakes up, makes, has, makes breakfast, helps out in the house, right? Uh, everyone holds doors, people hold doors, people give to the poor. Everyone does these things, all right? So these are the shared actions between all people. And the second category is actions of ritual worship. As for the first category, Allah Azza wa Jal has announced to His creation and He has said, Verily, I, I am just and I hate injustice. Okay? So what does it mean that Allah is just? It means that okay, anyone, and he, he, Allah said, anyone who does any good action, I will reward him his good action. Okay? So what does that mean? A kafir, munafiq, hypocrite, pagan, atheist. If they do a good action, they're going to get its reward. However, it's only going to be in this life. Why? The pagan in the first place, he doesn't believe Allah exists and he doesn't believe in the afterlife in the first place. So it doesn't make any sense for him to have his reward there. The atheist, the one who doesn't believe in God, he will have his reward. Right? Why? Because that's the fairness that Allah announced. Justice. You do a good deed, you're going to get its reward. But the atheist, he doesn't believe in God or the afterlife. So he's not going to get it there. He will have his reward in this life. Okay? So this is the first rule. However, a mu'min, he's do, a mu'min, if he makes his intention of a mundane action to be for this life and the next, or for Allah Azza wa Jal, then he gets his reward in this life and the next. You have, take care, you have, uh, oh Hamza, on your way out, could you tell all the kids running in the halls just to go in the gym, right? You have uh, a nation like America, they uphold justice, they do good things, so many good things, right? So, they're not going to have a reward for that? They're going to. What's the reward? Okay. Stability. That's, they get the reward in this life. Okay. So this is the thing about mundane action. As for ritual worship, the issue of intention for ritual worships is totally different. What is a ritual worship? It's a type of worship that you wouldn't ever do unless you were Muslim. Like you wouldn't ever pray except you were Muslim. You ever get up for Fajr except if you were Muslim. These ritual worships that will clearly are only done because of your belief as a Muslim. They can only be done with an intention. If it's done uh, for other than the sake of Allah, to please a, fa a parent, to please a husband, to, to get a reputation for any other reason, okay? In fact, it's the opposite now. It's called riya or shirk asghar. It's called riya, which is basically showing off the... Not the type of showing off like um, someone who lifts weights and he wears a tight shirt, he's showing himself off. This, in Islam, we consider this just uh, immature. Or someone has a skill and he's showing it off to people. That's not even a problem. We don't have a problem with that in Sharia. The riya or ostentation that we're talking about, which is what the Prophet called lesser shirk. This is to do an act of worship with the intention of getting other people's attention. This is, Allah calls it, lesser uh, paganism. A type of paganism, uh, of shirk, or associating with Allah to do an act of worship for Allah other than Allah Azza wa Jal. 
Okay? This is what we're talking about. So the act of worship that you do, that is clearly like an Islamic act that only a Muslim will share in. This type of action, if it is not for Allah Azza wa Jal only, then it's against you. Right? It's against you. Allah Azza wa Jal says, if you do an action of worship, mixing it, doing a little bit for me and a little bit for someone else, right? I have no need for a partner. Take it and give it all to that person. Right? He has no need for this. Right? And this is a type of uh, a branch of hypocrisy to do an act of worship intending to be seen by others. Okay? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said this type of, sh of lesser shirk, shirk is associating another god with Allah. He said, Iblis whispers to you with a whisper, right? More subtle than a black ant on a black rock on a dark night. Very subtle. He'll start to get into you. As soon as you start doing something good, he will start to try to find the worldly incentives for you, all right? So that he turns your intention just a little bit. Yani shaitan, if you pray, he's not going to tell you stop praying, right? He's not going to tell you stop praying, but he's going to start telling you, so-and-so is watching, pray it, make it longer. So-and-so is watching, make your sunnahs, all right? Or no one's watching, just do it quick. So he tries to alter your intention in that way. So this is the difference in the two types of actions we have. Ritual actions has to have the pure intention. And mundane action that are good, you will get rewarded either way in this life. But in order to claim any type of reward for it in the next life, you have to have the intention. And what is weightier, the rewards of this life or the rewards of the next life? Whoever gets a reward in the next life, he will also have it in this life. You always have it both. Allah will not give you a reward only in the next life and not in this life. You will have both. Okay? You will always have both. Okay? So, this is the first of nine points about this hadith. Alright? That's the first of nine points. Now, point number two. Or actually, we've done two already. We did the origins and then we did action, uh, the types of actions. Right? Ritual and mundane. Now, let's go to the third type. What does this hadith not mean? How is this hadith misunderstood by people? And the scholars, they love to look at how something is actually wrong. How is it misunderstood? We always look at what are the we always look at what are the problems of the understanding before what is the right understanding. And what's the best example of this? What does Allah say? What is the when we become Muslim, what do we do? We negate first. In our shahada, we negate first, then we affirm. So we negate all false gods, and then we affirm the true God. Right? That's how we do it. We negate pagan gods and other gods, and then we affirm the true God. So we have to look at, and the ulama always look at, how could this be misunderstood? What is the wrong understanding? So that we remove that first, and then get to the right understanding. The wrong understanding of this hadith, of actions or by intentions, is like this. You see someone doing something wrong. Let's take an example. Someone's praying incorrectly. You tell him, Akhi, you just prayed to the opposite qibla, the opposite way. So now fix your prayer. Pray again. Then he replies to you and tells you, Allah knows my intention. Okay? So his assumption here is that by virtue of having a good intention, I don't need to do things correctly. That having a good intention overrides 
the requirement to do things properly, right? And this is the misunderstanding of hadith. This is the, an incorrect understanding of this hadith. In order for actions to be accepted by Allah Azza wa Jal, you require two things. Two things. Number one, sincerity. Number two, sunnah. You got to do it the way the Prophet... Why did Allah send Prophets in the first place? Why didn't He just send a message and say, everyone, just have good intentions and do whatever you want? This doesn't work like this, right? So the Prophet, peace be upon him, gave us all right, his own teachings and a, uh, on, uh, uh, as explanation of the Qur'an. So in order for your deed to be accepted, it requires your sincerity and ittiba' al-sunnah. Ittiba' of the sunnah. In other words, it's got to be done correctly. Now, could Allah end up, if you make a mistake in your action, could Allah end up accepting it? For this, we won't call it acceptance. We will call it forgiveness. It's not called acceptance. It's called forgiveness. Like who? There was once a man, he was so uh, evil in his life, a tyrant, so evil in his life, that he, on his deathbed, told his sons, cremate me. Cremate me. Right? And then on a windy day, blow my ashes in the wind. Then Allah resurrected him on Yom Qiyamah and said to him, You, why did you ask your sons to cremate you and throw your ashes in the wind? He said, Because I was afraid of you and I hoped maybe, possibly, you won't be able to resurrect me by doing this. So now this person, in fact, not only he did something you're not supposed to do, we don't, you're not supposed to cremate a dead body. Number two, if you think that Allah, you can out-trick him and outwit him, that's a huge mistake in aqidah, which is worse than actions. Issues of belief are weightier in the sight of Allah than mistakes of actions. But what did Allah do? He laughed at this man, but he credited him for his fear. And he put him in heaven. He said, O oh, angels, forgive all his sins because of his fear of me. He fears, he fears me, therefore he believes in me. And enter him in, into paradise. Does this mean, does this mean that his action was accepted? We say no. Allah accepted his fear and forgave his ignorance. Right? Allah accepted his fear, but forgave his sin of cremation, cremating himself and forgave his ignorance of thinking that Allah can't collect him and resurrect him again, right? he forgave that. So this uh, hadith won't be acceptance. So someone worships Allah 20 years thinking he's doing the right thing. In fact, he's making a mistake. If it's a genuine mistake, it is possible that Allah will forgive his mistake and accept his intention. However, this is not possible once you've learned. right? You can't make repentance for something before you do the sin. You can't say, well... Uh, uh, Allah accepts all intentions so you know what let me just wing it however I want to do it you can't make repentance and do it beforehand so now that you have been taught this matter right? now that you've been taught this matter now we have no excuse and we say what Ibn Ashir teaches children we stop all action before doing them until we find out what does our Lord and Messenger intend for us to do? In other words, what is the divine will for us? How to behave, how to do these things. Okay? So now that we have knowledge, we are only forgiven on genuine accidents and not by premeditated uh, saying, okay, well, Allah knows my intention. 
All right? So we have to be careful not to misuse. And what do they say? They say, if you commit a wrong, and you just, or before you commit a wrong, say, Allah is all-forgiving, and you commit your wrong, it is worse than you have committed wrong and seek repentance. Because whoever does so beforehand, he has mocked Allah. All right? You've mocked him. Tawbah is only acceptable after the fact. All right? So now that's point number, what are we on? Three. Now we're on point number four. All right? Number four. Number four is the question, can one retroactively make an intention? I've been living for 30 years. Right, doing some certain good things. Now I learn the power of intention. Can I retroactivate it? The answer is yes on a condition. Only mundane actions. Only mundane actions. Right? So if I'm in the middle of prayer, I'm praying dhuhr. I'm in my first rakah of dhuhr. Then I say to myself, oh, hold on. I didn't pray fajr. Let me make this prayer fajr. That we can't do. We cannot do. No. An act of ritual worship, the intention must be made before you do it. Okay? So if it's dhuhr, and then I remembered I missed fajr, I salam out, and I pray fajr. Why? Because the prayers have to be in order, for the day at least, right? So you cannot retroactivate your intention for a act, an act of ritual worship. You can't say, you can't be, let's say, after Ramadan, and you say, I'm going, to make, I'm going to fast the six days of Shawwal. So you start fasting. And they say, oh, hold on. I was actually sick on the 15th of Ramadan. I need to make that up first. So let this day be the obligatory. Can't do that. All right? Your intention for the ritual act has to be done beforehand, not afterwards. Okay. Beforehand, yeah. But, uh, you say we was in our, our, our first rock out for the horse. Yeah. Remember, Remembered you didn't do Fajr. didn't do Fajr. Yeah. So it, it, it would be haram for us to slam out and do Fajr? No, yeah, that's what you should do. What you, should what you cannot do is within the prayer, change the intention. And just do two rock as if it was Fajr. Yeah, you can't do that. You, your intention has to be before you act. Yeah, before you take the action. If you remembered you missed a prayer, you salam out, and then you start over. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, we come to, for mundane actions, though, it's the opposite. Let's say you were a doctor or a nurse, and you were treating people for 10 years. Right? As just as a job. You can't possibly say, Oh, Allah, yeah, I now make... I wish to put all of those deeds and make them for your sake. You can do that for mundane actions. You cannot do it for a ritual act of worship. Okay? So you could say, oh Allah, all the goodness that I've done to my mom, right? I make the intention for it to be for your sake. You can retroactively do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Remember, mundane actions, you're going to get your reward either way in this life Right? Only with the intention will you get your reward in the next life. All right? So that was a point number one. If you came late, we'll review that. Okay? The next point. 
Can intentions change? This is a very important thing. You begin, like kids who begin school, on the first day, they polish their sneakers, they got their notebooks all tidy, they got their pens in order, all right? They're paying attention. They're gonna stay, they can make a commitment, I'm gonna write the homework down and do it on time. By the end of the week, it's all falling apart, right? By the end of the week, he's forgetting class, he's forgetting his stuff, he forgot his notebook, he's writing his homework anywhere, scribbling it somewhere on the cover of his book, right? And it's fell apart, right? The Prophet said, your intention is like a garment. It gets worn out. It gets worn out. And what do you do? You buy a new one, right? Anyone, and you think the president, when he's coming out to the Rose Garden to make a speech in his fourth year of the presidency, you think he's still wearing the suit of the first year, right? He's got to be polished. He's getting a new one all the time, right? They're getting new ones all the time, right? So we're going to get to that. Now, intentions change, and you have to monitor your intention. It can change 100% too, 180 degrees. That means you started something for Allah's sake, Shaitan can work on you until now it's for your ego's sake, right? You entered Islam because of belief in the afterlife. You truly believed in the afterlife and you wanted to save yourself, right? You got in and you lost, in, you lost interest in the issue of the afterlife. Five, ten years later, you're, you're not interested in the afterlife. Why? Because the hearts change. Hearts change. This is why the Prophet's number one dua was, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qulubana ala deenik. Oh, turner of hearts, make my heart firm on your deen. It happens all the time. You, you, you have a, a calamity. The calamity causes you to think about the real reason of existence. So you start fearing for the afterlife. You start saying, look, I'll, you, I will do anything to change my, my course of my life. I'm, I'm going south. I will sacrifice anything to go north again. You fix things. Now things look good for four years, five years, six years. Now what happens? Your appetite for dunya grows back. Your appetite for worldly stuff grows again. And all that intention has changed. It's all changed. Right? You're not the same person you used to be. Right? You find religion heavy. You find it something you don't want. You find yourself, instead of asking, what more can I do? And what more can I sacrifice? You find yourself asking, how can I cut a corner? Why did that happen? Because your intention changed. Your intention changed. You, you buy a house, it's beautiful. 10 years later, 20 years later, is it beautiful? No. The kitchen's outdated. The bathroom tiling is outdated. Right? The microwave is from the 80s. Right? The whole thing needs to be changed. You need to gut the whole thing and start over. And we better do this before Allah does it to us. If we're lucky, Allah does it to us. If we're lucky, what happens? Allah sends another storm. He sends another calamity to clear it all out and then we start over. But sometimes He doesn't do that for a reason. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you have kids. If He was to wipe you out again, how would you take care of your kids? Right? How are you going to do your job that He made you do? So He keeps you healthy. It's up to you now who are calamity-free to fix your intention by yourself. Which leads us to the next point. How do we fix our intentions by ourselves? Right? And Imam al-Haddad gives us three main ways to do so. Al-Mawtu wa-Salihina wa-Qur'anu Right? Number one, 
if you feel like I've had a great decade, everything's going right, when things happen like that, what happens? Allah tells us, your appetite for worldliness grows. Now it's like raging out of control. It's like a machine that I can't stop anymore. My, my ego, desiring dunya, is out of control. What's the only thing that's going to temper it? Unless Allah sends you a calamity, the only thing that will temper it is a constant remembrance of death. Death is something no one will escape. It's a fact of life. Allah made it. Leaves die. Lions die. Elephants die. Humans die. Nothing will not die. In fact, your own skin is dying. Constantly your skin is dying and regenerating new skin. Constantly your hair is being cut off. Allah makes your hair... Some people said, why did Allah make us cut hair? To show you a constant cycle of things. Comes in and it's going out. Coming in and going out. You have nails. You look at your nails, they're looking good. On Monday. By Thursday you need to clip it. By the next Monday you need to clip it. Right? You're seeing death right in front of you. People always ask, why did Allah create hair and nails? Right? It grows and He asks us to cut it. So you can think you yourself are dying. Your body is dying at every minute. Your, bo- your skin is not the same skin as you had when you were three. All that tissue slowly died and came off. Right? A new tissue generated from the food and the water that you drank and ate. Okay? Constant remembrance of death okay, is a requirement. And in order for contemplation, fikr and muraqaba to have success, it's just like... I have a file right, on a flash drive. I need you to insert it in your computer. But the file is like 100 megabytes. What do you need to do? You need to go in your machine and empty it out. You need to empty out some software, some downloads, some videos into the trash bin and empty the trash bin. In order to have room for this new thing, And this is what we have to do. Whosoever constantly remembers death and afterlife, it's as if he's injected, it's as if he's hired, okay, it's as if he's hired a handyman to visit the house every day and fix one thing and fix another thing and fix another thing. Very slowly, after two years, the whole house is new. The whole house is new. Very slowly. What's number two? As-salihin. Suhbatuhum wa dhikruhum. There are people out there who are better than us in this matter. In this matter of religion, there are people better than us. If they're alive, keep their company. If they're dead, read their biographies. These are people who are on the right track. It's like a, a motor that's moving. And you, by osmosis, if you move next to them, slowly it'll rub off on you. Slowly it'll rub off on you. All right? Keeping their company, if not, then reading their biographies. And the number one of the salihin are who? The prophets. After that, the companions, and then those who followed them, and those who followed them. Up to the... Now, who are the greatest? We say the prophets and the early Muslims. But what is most effective? The contemporary ones. The living. If you can find someone closest to you, who is of a person who was more advanced than you and pious, even though the prophets and companions are greater... The living person is more effective. This is a reality. This is a fact. A living person who is upon piety is more effective in in changing us than reading about someone who lived 
10 centuries before, even if he's a greater person. So, suhbah, your friendship. Number three is the Quran. Number three, contemplation. A man came to Imam al-Haddad and he said, I used to find so much vigor in my deen and my worship and my seeking knowledge and now it's become stale. He said, go and recite the Quran with contemplation. And alhamdulillah, we finished all 30 juz. If you don't read, if you don't read, you will need to listen. We've put it all for you on youtube.com slash Safina Society. Right, and you can get these uh, all online or you could listen to it. Listening to the Quran with contemplation. That means you might sit on one verse for a day, thinking about it. It's not about listening to the whole track. Okay, so this is, these are three ways, three regular actions that will always uh, purify the intention. Now, if we're talking about purifying intention, what is the sign of a pure intention? How do I know that my intention is pure? Three things. Three signs for us that our intention is pure. Number one, muwafaqatu shara. Number one is called muwafaqatu shara. Namely that we're in agreement with the sacred law. Our actions are upon the sacred law. Right? Your actions are upon the sacred law. You make the intention to get a job for some reason. Right? I, get the, I have an intention to get a job to feed my family or to do this or to do that. Now the job, they come say, job interviewer says, hey, all right, let's just meet at the bar. Right? Let's meet at the bar. This is your first test. You're doing this for Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah has no need for an action by you built upon sin. He has no need for such an action. Any action that you do, you might think, hey, let me just do it, then I'll get the job, and I will present this to Allah Azza wa Jal. I did it, I got the job, I'm paying the charity, I'm paying this, I'm paying that, I'm helping my family, I'm doing all these things. What does Allah say to you? Allah has no need for a result upon which was built, that was built upon sin. And we know we can't even enter a room. We can't enter a bar. You're not even allowed to enter a bar. Okay? It's prohibited for us to enter into a bar. You can enter a supermarket that sells alcohol over there. That's not your problem. All right? Or if there's alcohol sold over there, you're not going there. You're going this way. But to go into a bar, it's prohibited for us. So the first test of intention... Okay, and this happens in many Islamic fields, in many fields, all right? We cut corners. What are your, what's your opinion on taking an interest loan to build a mosque? That doesn't make sense. Someone says, I need to really need to build this masjid. If you are truly doing it for Allah, you're going to be tested and tempted to do it the wrong way. Allah will test you and tempt you to do it the wrong way. You have to resist that. And then you're going to say to yourself, yes, but the work isn't growing fast enough. Right? We're not building fast enough. Allah Azza wa Jal never cares for the speed or size or results. This is what you care about, but it's not what Allah cares about. So the first test of intention is your means must be in accordance with your ends. If your end is to please Allah, the means must please Allah Azza wa Jal. Like there was a guy for uh, Cuisinart, craftsmanship. Great craftsmanship, famous for great craftsmanship. 
what's this guy? He had a motto. He said, the inside of our machines are as pretty as the outside. The means are as beautiful and pure as our goal. Right? So this is the first one. The second sign, all right, of a good intention is good relations with people. Good relations with people. Right? Someone wants to, you want to do something good? We are not like some of the CEOs who, the people who work for them, they all need therapy. Because the guy is the biggest jerk in the room. You go, you want to do Islamic work, you want to do something good, right? You're stepping on people, cursing people, putting people down, destroying people. We ask you, what is your intention, right? You want to please Allah? How can you please Allah by hurting people, right? How, is this, how does this work? If you look at the Prophet ﷺ, his enemies had nothing bad to say about him. They said, should we say that he is greedy to be a king? They say no, he's never asked for money. How do we say that he's actually doing this so that he could gain women? They said no, he's the most chaste of men. They said, should we do this so that uh, he has, should we say about him that he uh, is insane or he's unwell? They said, no, we can't say this because before the revelation, we used to seek his counsel and seek his advice. They said, How, what will we say about him? Right? We can't say any of these things about him. We can't say anything bad about him. Right? They said the only thing that they could say is that Islam separates the family. Right? And in fact, this was the only negative thing that they could find. Right? But it's true. However, this separation is for the good, not for the bad. Not all separation is bad. Right? If there is a herd of, 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 of buffalo headed off the cliff, right? And one buffalo stops. Do you say that that buffalo went astray? Right? No. That buffalo did the right thing. So some separation is good. Yeah. So there's a flood. The family's stranded. Yeah. Some get on, the other Exactly. Same thing. They're separated. Someone, a lifeboat came. You got on. Is someone going to say, hey, no, no. Yanni, the Titanic sunk. The lifeboat came. Are you going to say, let's just stay as a family? No. Get on the lifeboat. How can you, you can't accuse the guy who got on the lifeboat of dividing the family. Right? So he's correct, but he intended it to, to harm. Right? So that's the only thing they could say. Omar bin Khattab, Salahuddin Ayyubi, Muhammad Fatih the Conqueror, and Amir Abdul Qadir of Algeria. These were all people who fought, who were generals, rulers, kings, who fought against Others and those others praise them, right? It's a sign of good intention. Okay, sign of good intention. The third sign of the correct intention is that the action is sweet in your heart. This is maybe the number one sign that you are filled with energy and you are enjoying your act. This is the number one sign. As soon as your intention starts to curve, Allah Azza wa Jal places bitterness in your heart as a sign to you. You're showing off. You're competing. In Islam, we shouldn't compete. We have good competition, right? That means I see you studying, let me study, right? You're doing a sunnah, I'll do the same thing. But it's sweet. It feels good. As soon as I start feeling that, 
All right? As soon as I start feeling that, I feel bitter, I feel competition, I feel jealousy, I feel rancor, something's wrong with the intention. It's got to be fixed. So these are three signs, okay, that the intention has gone astray. Yep. What's the second sign of having? Is having good relations with the people you work with. The people around you should have good relations with them. And, of course, you're going to cross paths, but you rectify it quickly. The Muslim never says we're going to have perfection, but when we do err, we rectify it quickly. We fix it quickly. Okay. All right, the next one, we got two more. Can we make multiple actions, intentions for one action? Right? The answer is yes, except for obligatory deeds. Except for obligatory actions. In other words, dhuhr can only be dhuhr. Ramadan fast can only be Ramadan fast. Hajj can only be hajj. Okay? But for everything else you can. You visit, your neighbor gets sick. You can visit him intending visitation of the sunnah. Intending to bring him food. Intending to ask his family if they need help. Intending to remind him of patience. Intending to make dua for him. You can make 10, 15, 20, 30 intentions for one action. That's why the Quran says, Verily, the only people who revere Allah correctly, truly, are the scholars. What does he mean by that? Some of the scholars said, it's the scholars in the subject of intention. So that instead of doing a good deed and he just sees everyone else doing it, so he just does it, and he may or may not get anything good from it. Right? But the scholar, what does he do? He starts saying, I'll make this intention, this intention, this intention, this intention. And he lists three, four, five, ten intentions all together. He gets all those rewards. Does the intention have to be by your tongue? The answer is no. Right? But it can be more clear. It can make the matter more clear if you say it, but you don't have to say it. It's in your heart is enough. Last question. The, a number of worldly benefits of this hadith. Today, we are fighting distraction. If you look at some people who succeed in the worldly sense, they have this concept. If you intend to send off an email to so-and-so, you go into your inbox, you don't get distracted, you push away the distractions, and you send that one email and you move on. If you intend to write up something all right, for your job, once you go in, you log in, and you do that action without being distracted. The failure to focus is why people fail in life. Most people succeed over others on one thing. They're not distracted. They're focused. And you have to be very careful with technology today. There's too many good things. Too many good things, right? And I've noticed, in fact, all of these apps that are make things more efficient, they make one thing more efficient and pre present you with a hundred distractions, right? I've noticed this about these things. Actually, if you eliminate this and you take the long way, right, you probably, the, the thing itself took longer, but you didn't have distractions, right? You didn't have a million other distractions. Today, uh, it's so efficient to send a text, but to pick up the phone is worth a hundred texts, right? It's so efficient to send one text, but what do people do now? They have conversations on text, right? That might take all day. It's a two-minute conversation. One text message is worth, uh, one email is worth 10 text messages. And one minute phone call is worth 10 emails. So in fact, I think we're actually duping ourselves 
not like there's a conspiracy, but we actually are duping ourselves, right? Some, all of our technology is presenting us with shortcuts, but a deluge of distractions at the same time. Why is it that the people of the past were far more prolific than today? Look at the novels of the past, like this big, Tolstoy. But he had to write it with his hand. When you write it with your hand, you probably think twice before you put your ink on the paper, right? Do you, you ever wonder how people used to do anything on a typewriter, right? Because he had to think twice before clicking a letter, right? So that when you actually write something, it's well thought through. So we have to think twice and we have to fight against distractions and look at the Japanese, the Germans, the Swiss. They all have this ethic. And look at their products. If I tell you something's made in the USA, it's probably going to be clunky. If I tell you a car is made in Germany, it's going to be smooth, right? Yep. Yeah. You get through any, you don't get through anything. You're going to read it. That, this is why the, the, the people who uh, sometimes we actually need the time management that we used to do for kids, we need it for adults. There's just too much going on. And you end up doing nothing. Really end up doing nothing. So uh, it's something we, this act, actions are by intentions is something to think twice about. Yeah. Just one other thing to that point. Our author, yeah. Imam Nawi, this is his thing. He didn't waste any time. SubhanAllah. Imam his, the, the, the books, if you listed the books he wrote that people benefit from today, you could go from here probably to the wall. He died at the age of 45. SubhanAllah. How do you do that? We can come back for some Q&A, inshallah, after Salah. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. Allah